0: Here we go. Romans chapter 5. Let's start actually before Romans chapter 5. We celebrate this Sunday, uh, which, you know, um, in some ways it's just another Sunday, but there was a Sunday 2,000 years ago that made uh, all the other Sundays matter in a way they had never mattered before. And so, this is the day we celebrate and remember the Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. It's an incredible Sunday, but to be honest, I always fight this fear uh, as a church leader that, that on this Sunday, maybe more than any other Sunday, there's a danger that we would only tell part of the story. That we wouldn't tell the whole story, that we would just tell part of what is actually happening and taking place. And I don't know about you, but I hate when I feel like I'm only getting part of the story. Anybody else hate that? Like when you're talking to your kids and you're like, um, you're not telling me the whole story here. Like there's a, there's a big chunk missing. Or if like sometimes I get to talk to some of you on Sundays and I get interrupted or something, somebody needs me. And I, it just happened the other day when I was hanging out and someone got to tell me part of a story. And then I was like, I want to hear the end. But I had to go. And it was uh, pretty frustrating. And it can actually go the other way also. If you're the one telling the story, it's pretty frustrating not to get to tell the whole story, Right. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're, like, telling the story, and you get, like, part of the way through, and you're like, I was here, and I was doing this, and they're like, whoa, you were there? That's amazing. And you're like, yeah, but that's not why I'm telling the story. Like, I haven't even mean, got to the amazing part yet. Anybody ever done that before? A person's, like, hung up on, like, an early part of your story. Like, no, 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 that doesn't matter. I want to get to the good part of the story. Like, let's get to the part that actually, the reason I'm telling the story. And, and that's really frustrating as well, not getting out the part of the story that you think is the good part of the story. And to be honest, I think that has the potential to happen on Resurrection Sunday more than any other Sunday. That we would only get part of the story, that we wouldn't get to the good part of the story, that people would hear part of the story, walk away, going, wow, that's amazing, God. And God's like, "Uh, you didn't even get to the great part. You're like, woo, rose from the dead, empty tomb. And God's like, we didn't even get to the good part of the story. I think that has the potential to happen on Resurrection Sunday. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I hope you realize this morning that God wants more good things for you than you want for yourself. Okay, so that's why I'm concerned about the danger of not telling the whole story is because people are coming into churches on this Sunday and God actually wants more for them than they want for themselves. Like, all the things you think about that you want in your life, the fulfillment, the meaning, the purpose, the security, the peace, the joy, 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 joy down in your heart, right? All of that, God wants you to have that more than you want to have it. You ever thought about that? Side note, maybe this is a good time to reflect on what you think the posture of God is towards you this morning. Lots of people think God's an angry math teacher in the sky, like one of those old ones with a ruler. So he's just t- He's actually wants great things for you. All the things that are deep down in your heart that you desire for yourself, he would like you to have more joy than you want to have joy. And I know this will blow your mind, but as we consider what God wants for us this morning, and what his posture is towards us, I want you to follow me here, okay? The posture of God towards you is one of love this morning. He wants better things for you than you want for yourself. And wrapped up in all of that is a tendency on this Sunday, more than any other Sunday, not to understand the whole scope of what he wants for you. Because to be honest, historically, this is a really big week. Okay, like if we just look at the history of what's going on for Jesus followers and people who claim to love God, this is a big week. Including Jesus dying on the cross just a couple days ago, which was probably the most impactful moment on the history of humanity. So, what's crazy about this is between the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead a couple days later, at the time of their happening, nobody knew what it all meant. So, the people who are watching this all take place, they're like, oh, like, what does this mean? You ever been in one of those situations where you watch something happen? You're like, I don't know why this is happening, but it seems like it's a really big deal. It's really, you, maybe you're like at an airport and people are like crying and hugging. You're like, I don't know why, but this story just seems bigger than just the regular airport story. Or, or, or you're on the street, you know, we've all watched those Facebook videos of, like, parents coming back from the military and their kids are like, oh, you know, surprising them. Like, that, like, I don't know the story of those two, but I know that guy's in a uniform and that's a young kid, so I'm guessing, like, this is a bigger story than I really understand. Now, just to catch everybody up on the story. If you open to the very beginning of your Bible, right? Because I'm talking about, let's get the whole story. You don't have to open there. But if you were to open to page one, God creates everything and it's perfect. Just like he intended it. Everything works like it's supposed to work. Then on page two of your Bible, and I'm not exaggerating, mankind screws everything up. God's like, hey, this is the way that you need to go. And and mankind's like, nah, we're good. We don't need to honor you as the creator. We actually have our own ideas about how we can live our lives. And when that happens, not only is mankind then separated from God, but the effects of mankind's action then corrupt every single thing that exists on the planet. So nothing on the planet works any longer like it was intended to work. That's why the cells in your body just like, nope, we're good. And people get cancer, right? Because even the cells in your body no longer work like they were intended to work. That's why tornadoes kill people and tsunamis, right? That's why moms have miscarriages and kids get cancer and, 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 People are running around with the effects of divorce. Why? Because nothing that God created works like it was intended to create any longer. And right after that, we're still talking page one and two of your Bible, okay? So this is at the very beginning. This is not like hidden in some deep recesses of the scriptures. This is right at the beginning. God comes down and says, you guys made a mess. And then he says, I'm going to fix it. He says, I'm going to send a Savior to fix all of this. Genesis 3:15, I'm going to send a savior. So from this point on, literally all of humanity is looking towards this coming savior. And then God chooses a people to bring forth the Savior from. He chooses the Jewish people. He says, hey, Jewish people, you're going to be the ones that the Savior comes through. So the rest of your Old Testament, if you're wondering kind of how your Bible's laid out, zooms in on these Jewish people. It's following the Jewish people around until the Savior comes. His name is Jesus. He's born in a manger. He lives a perfect life. He begins ministering publicly, and for three years, he's like the talk of the town. He does miracles. He loves on people. He stands up for justice. He writes wrong. And then at the end of it, he dies on a cross and his followers are like, wait, what? We thought this was the Savior, the one we've been talking about since page two of our Bibles. What happened here? And they don't know what it all means. And if you're a Jesus follower at this point, you've probably spent a few days thinking about these unanswered questions. Why did Jesus have to die? Why didn't God save him? Why didn't he even fight it? Why would God let this happen? And then, a couple days later, two women get up early before the sunrise to go to the tomb, you know, how people do it, gravestones, sometimes they say a little prayer, maybe they put some flowers, maybe they clean up, maybe they just sit and remember their lost loved one. So they get up early to go to the tomb, and they get there, and the stone is rolled away, and it's empty. It's, it's gone. And now there's a whole new set of questions, and they don't know what that means. They were asking all these questions about, why did he have to die? And like, why didn't he do anything? Like, we watched him walk on water. He couldn't get off a cross. Like, why would God even let this happen? And now they're like, wait, Jesus is gone? Where'd he go? What do you mean he's alive? What what does that mean? What am I supposed to do? Where, how do I, uh?" like, there's all these unanswered questions at the time. In that moment, literally not one of those very important questions is answered. So do you see how there's a danger not to get the whole story here? We could just sing that old rugged cross, you know, and then think, cool, Jesus rose from the dead. But if we don't know why, then we don't even get the whole story. And we didn't even get to the good part yet. Now, later on in your Bible, a few years after Jesus died and resurrected, one of the leaders of the community of Jesus followers uh, was named Paul. You probably know him as the Apostle Paul. And at the time, Paul spent much of his time answering these questions that were unanswered at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. Why did Jesus have to die? What does it mean? Why did God do it like this? I thought he was the savior of the world. Why did he let them kill him? And not only is Paul finding answers to these questions in the scriptures, he's also teaching the story in towns and cities and villages to as many people as will listen to him. So he's traveling around telling people this good news and answering these questions as many people as will listen. And then later in his life, along with visiting these cities, these places he's been, these villages and towns and groups of people, he starts writing letters back to places he's been and explaining further the answer to these questions on what what it all meant. Now, Paul had already been to all these places, and, and, and all of these people had probably heard Paul teach on these things in person. They probably sat there and listened to Paul explain all of these things, but there was this one place Paul had never been and had always wanted to go, and it was Rome. Rome at the time was the most influential city in the world, the largest city in the world, the center of the Roman Empire, and we had, we've actually been studying through the book of Acts uh, as a church on Sunday mornings, and we've been watching as Paul is like, I want to go to Rome, I want to go to Rome, I want to go to Rome. Actually, if you were with us two weeks ago, God finally came to Paul in a vision and was like, you get to go to Rome, and he's like, yes, it's going to be awesome. But before Paul goes to Rome, he actually sits down and writes them a letter. Now, it's a little bit unique than some of the other letters uh, that are written to people groups in your Bible. Because at this point in time, Paul had never been to Rome when he wrote this letter, which is the first one that's like that. And then another unique thing about it is this is probably the most detailed explanation of all of those questions that I just threw out to you. The book of Romans is like, why did Jesus have to die? Why did it have to look like this? What was God actually doing? What does it mean for us? When we saw the empty tomb, what was that all about? Like, who is it? Like, all of these questions that they had at the time and didn't have answers to, Roman lays, Romans, the book of Romans in your Bible, lays them out one by one by one by one. And Paul sits down, writes this incredible letter, and we absolutely do not have time to cover it all today, but there is a section in Romans chapter 5 that points out a part of the story that I think sometimes doesn't get the attention it deserves, even on Resurrection Sunday. And it's, in my opinion, and I think in uh, the Bible's opinion, the good part of the story. Right. So let's not fall to the danger of just talking about part of the story. Let's get to the good part of the story this morning, So let's take a look at Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 6. We're going to go verses 6 through 11. So if you got a white or a blue Bible like I gave you, uh, it's the one up here. I have page 549. And then it's about halfway down the page in the left-hand column, verse 6 of Romans chapter 5. It says this, "...for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die." we have now received reconciliation. So this part of the book starts at the death of Christ. Remember, a few days before the resurrection, before the empty doom, he says, While we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. So let me help you about, like help you understand this a little bit, okay? He's talking about you. When you were weak, Jesus died for you. And if you're like, did Paul just call me weak, Jared? Yes. Yes, he did. Okay? And it's going to get a lot worse than that. So if that offended you, buckle your seatbelt, right? It's going to go downhill from here. But let's start with the idea of weak, okay? There's a couple ways you can understand the idea of weak. When we talk about lifting weights, someone who is weak can only lift a little bit, right? That's one understanding of weak. Like, I can't lift a lot. I can only lift a little tiny bit. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about weak here. The weakness here describes someone who is incapable. Like the word is a nice word used for someone who is crippled and can't walk. In other places in your Bible, it's talking about someone who is like crippled and can't walk, like a paraplegic. And it says they're weak, right? And that's a nice way of saying he can't walk a little bit, he can't walk at all. He's incapable. It's a nice way to say it, but the reality of the description is because of the weakness, we are incapable. Incapable. Remember what we talked about at the very beginning? Our sin has separated us from God. Nothing works like it was supposed to work any longer. We no longer have access to God like we were intended to have access to God. So when Jesus dies for us, his death does something for us that we were incapable of doing for ourselves. We were crippled in this realm. We were incapable of doing we weren't lifting a little bit. We weren't lifting anything at all. That's amazing. That's what you're thinking right now oh, that's such a gift, but it's not the whole story, and let's keep going, because that's not actually the good part of the story. Paul says this. He kind of goes on a little thing here. He says, you know, people don't just go around dying for other people a lot. It's like, sometimes for good people, maybe someone will die, and sometimes for really good people, maybe someone will die. But there have to be perfect circumstances for one person to die for another. That's verse seven. And then he says this in verse eight, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, this is incredible. Think this through with me right now. God's love wasn't shown by Jesus dying for good people. God died for us when we were at our worst. And not only at our worst, We had no intention of turning around, stopping our behavior, admitting we were wrong, acknowledging our failure, or even asking for forgiveness. I'm not a forgiving person in general. I know that's not very spiritual to say, but this is a safe place, right? (laughs) But if I were to hypothetically forgive somebody, they would at the very least have to stop doing the thing that they were doing that was hurting me right? That's like square one. And then if they stopped doing that, they would have to acknowledge that what they had done was offensive and hurtful to me. And then if they did those two things, they would probably say, I'm sorry for the thing I did that hurt you. And then I would kind of expect them to say, will you please forgive me and try to reconcile with me? And then if they do all of those things, I will consider forgiving them. God forgave us when, when we didn't even acknowledge we had hurt him, or offended him, or dishonored him. God forgave us when we didn't even think we were going the wrong way. Like we weren't even aware that what we were doing was offensive to him. It's an incredible gift. This is the state we are in when Jesus dies for humanity and forgives sin. Not only were we not good people, we hadn't even recognized that we weren't good people yet. We were still walking around with our chest out thinking we didn't do anything wrong. And it was at that moment when we had no intention of turning around that Jesus chose to forgive our sin. Now, there's some of you who are thinking right now, hey, Jared, I never offended God like that. I'm not. I, I mean, I get it. There's some people who have done some really bad stuff, but that's not me oh, you mean you have never done something that you are aware of that would be offensive to God? Is that what you just said? Right? Did you say, like, I'm not a bad person? Oh, so you haven't acknowledged the hurt that you've caused or the dishonor that you've lived your life towards? Sounds familiar, right? That's the exact person that Jesus died for, the type of person who doesn't even see the wrong they're committing which, by the way, is the hardest type of person to forgive. Can you imagine someone hurting you deeply, and then when you confront them about it, they're like, I didn't do anything to you. Like, not only did you do something to me, now you made me mad. <laughs> right? Like, And that's the type of person that Jesus dies on the cross for. Again, that is amazing. Still not the good part of the story. Uh-oh, we got some roller there. Good. Thank you. Side note real quick. If you follow the words here used about the kind of people God loves, look at what he says. Jesus died for verse six, the weak, verse six, the ungodly, verse eight, sinners, verse 10, enemies of God. So weak, ungodly, sinful, enemies of God, that's who Jesus died for. And just so you know, those are the only types of people Jesus died for, So if you don't consider yourself any one of those type of people, that's bad news because Jesus only died for those types of people. He did not die for good people because good people are a myth. They're self-deceived. Everyone is in truth, weak, incapable, ungodly, sinful, missing the mark, enemy of God, opposed to the good he wants to work in your life And in the world. So if you consider yourself a good person this morning, I got nothing for you. I'm sorry the Bible doesn't have good news for you, right? So when I say, there's good news, you're like, but I'm a good person. You're like, nah, no good news for you. I apologize. But if you recognize weakness in yourself, if you recognize ungodliness in yourself, if you recognize sinful opposition to God in your soul this morning, there is great news for you. You are the one Jesus died for. You are the one Jesus came to save. Your weakness and your sinfulness and your sin does not disqualify you from the good news of this morning. It is actually what qualifies you for the forgiveness of God this morning. Again, great news. Again, still not the good part. Now, at this point, you're probably a few of you we are thinking, Jared, you just called the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, not the good part of the story. What are you doing? And you're probably thinking God's about to smite me right now, right? Like He keeps going. He's done it three times in a row and told your sacrifice on the cross, not the good part of the story. I'm not the one saying that's not the good part of the story. The word of God is the one saying that's not the good part of the story. I didn't call it anything. Look at the verses we just read. The Bible says the good part of the story comes after the death of Jesus. Look at verse 9. Since therefore, verse 9, we have now been justified by his blood much more. Stop! I don't even want to talk about what the much more is. I just want to point out that there is a much more. Think about what he just said. Since we have been justified by his blood, much more. There's like, he's like, death of Jesus on the cross. And there's something that is much more than that. What? Some of your mind's blown right now. Like, there's something more than the death of Jesus on the cross? What could it possibly be? Well, I don't want to get there yet, because just in case you don't believe me, he says it again in verse 10 and again in verse 11. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, death of his son, what's it say next? Much more. Again, there's a better part of the story than the death of Jesus on the cross. And then again in verse 11, more than that. That's the third time he said it in these six verses, which is saying the same thing again. The thing he's talking about now is greater than the thing he was just talking about, which is the death of Jesus on the cross. So what is it that he's talking about now that is so much greater than the cross? Because to be honest, like that's, I don't know. You're going to have to convince me of that truth, right? The cross is the thing. Like we're Christians. We got the necklaces and the tattoos and the stickers on our car to prove it. The cross is the thing. And yet this... Scripture seems to point out that there's something much greater than the cross. So what could it be? Well, he's also actually going to say this thing three times, just so you get clarity on what it is. Verse 10, reconciled to God. Verse 10, again, now that we are reconciled, verse 11, we have now received reconciliation. Did you read that word? reconciled, the idea of reconciliation, no longer separated from God, that is the much more of the story. That's the good part of the story. That's the point of why the story exists, that you would be reconciled. And here's why it's such a big deal. Reconciliation is different than any other thing God offers you this morning. Okay, all the other stuff, all the other church words you've ever heard coming out of a Bible study, they're different than this. Forgiveness, justification, sanctification, made holy, given a future, given a hope, predestined. Every other thing you've been given by God, and there's a long list, you can have those things without relationship with God. You can be justified without having a relationship with the person who justified you. You can be given a future and a hope without having a relationship with the person who gave you a future and a hope. You cannot have reconciliation without relationship. Reconciliation, by its definition, requires relationship. Reconciliation is not only a relationship, but it's an experience of relationship. Do you see that? Like, reconciliation is experience. It's not an idea. It's not a thought. It's not a piece of information for you to know. Reconciliation is something you live through. It's an experience. It's not an idea. It's not a doctrine. It's not a philosophy. Reconciliation is an experience. It's something you live. So what the Bible is saying here is that the cross was amazing. Yes. Jesus died for your sins. Incredible. Not only that, but Jesus died for your sins when you were incapable, when you were opposed to God, when you didn't even realize what you were doing, the life you were living, how offensive to God it was. He showed you love in this way. All incredible. And then much more than that, after the death of Jesus, the tomb was empty as a sign that you could now experience reconciliation with God, that you could experience the reconciled God. That's why the, all the other stuff happened. That's why God promised the Savior at the very beginning of your Bible when we messed everything up. We're like, man, this is all broken. And by the way, that's not a Christian idea, right? There's this deep-seated, like, people on this earth are, like, looking around and be like, is this how it's supposed to work? You watch the news for 10 minutes. You're like, I think there's something wrong. Bingo, right? It's in your Bible. There's something very wrong. Nothing works like it's supposed to work any longer. So when God promised that Savior, it was that hopefully one day, we would experience the reconciled God. When that Savior came and was born in a manger like we celebrate on Christmas, it's so that someday we would experience the reconciled God. When he lived his perfect life on earth, it was hopefully that we would experience the reconciled God. When he died on the cross, it was that we would experience the reconciled God. And when the tomb was empty, he says, much more now. Much more than the death, much more than the life, much more than the prophecies, much more than the things God is going to give you. He wants you to experience him as a reconciled God. Jesus did not die on the cross and rise from the grave so you could know that your sins are forgiven. Jesus died for sinners so you can experience the reconciled God. That's what this is saying. Now, there's a very simple reason that the experience of the reconciled God is greater than the death of Jesus on the cross, and I'm going to explain it to you using two words you hear all the time around church, mercy and grace, okay? Not complicated words, but sometimes people don't think about what they actually mean. You've probably heard the words mercy and grace before. We use them together a lot, but mercy and grace are very different. Here's how. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, Okay, so you deserve something and you don't get it. That's mercy. If you do something bad and you deserve a punishment and I choose not to give you that punishment, that would be mercy. You're not getting what you deserve. Nod your head if you understand that. Half of you, the rest of you went to public school. I'll talk slower. (laughs) Now, grace, that was a joke. But homeschool kids in the house. Anyway, here we go. Now, grace is a little bit different Because grace is getting something you don't deserve. Okay? So where mercy is not getting what you do deserve, grace is getting something you don't deserve. Now hang with me here, because that's not the biggest difference between the two. Here's the biggest difference. Mercy, by its definition, is limited. It's finite. It has a clearly defined end because it's based on what I owe. Let's say you go to a restaurant, okay? Think about this. You go to a restaurant, you spend $100 on food. They bring the food, you eat the food, you enjoy it, and then you get to the end of the meal and you're like, oh no, I forgot my wallet. And I'm sitting there at the table next to you and I hear this interaction with you and the waitress and you're like, I don't have my wallet, I'm sorry. And I'm like, hey, how much does he owe? He owes a hundred bucks. You deserve a hundred dollar bill. That's what you deserve. You ain't $100 worth of food, but I'm going to pay it for you. That's mercy. You don't get what you deserve, but I can't pay $200 for your $100 bill. It's limited. Mercy is limited by what you owe. It's finite. It's clearly defined. Now, in the case of Jesus on the cross, it was a debt we were incapable of paying, but it was finite. It was clearly defined. I mean, there's a lot of sin in my life, but I've only been around for a X number of years, and there's only X number of sins I could have committed. So mercy, by definition, is limited. You can't, if I paid $200 at the restaurant, they'd be like, we got this extra $200. They can't add more $200 to your mercy. Like It doesn't work like that. Now let's think about grace. Grace, on the other hand, has no boundaries. Grace has no limits. There is no limiting factor when it comes to receiving what you did not deserve. Like, you can just keep receiving more and more and more and more of what you did not deserve. There's no limit. It's, it's, it's like, it's boundless. It's unlimited. There's no, there's no finite measure of grace. Like, you can keep receiving over and over and over things you did not deserve. So this is why the Bible talks about the cross and then says much more though, because the cross is mercy and we are very thankful for it. And it is an incredible gift because he did it while we were still sinners, but it's limited. Much more is grace. The forgiveness of Jesus on the cross, it's incredible. But the experience of the reconciled God is without limit. Do you see that incredible gift? Like that's why people get so fired up that the tomb was empty. We're like, much more though. Like this is an incredible Sunday. Your potential experience of the reconciled God cannot be limited. And let me tell you, that is the good part of the story. That's the good part of the story, you experiencing the reconciled God. Now, the death of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb were prerequisites so that you could experience the reconciled God, and that's why those things were necessary. Remember I told you at the beginning of this message that God wants more for you than you want for yourself? There's some of you in this room for whom that is true. God wants more for you than you want for yourself and you're operating having not considered the whole story. And not only do you not have the whole story, you're living without the best part of the story. Do you understand that? You're satisfied thinking you're forgiven, but God wants you to experience him. Like Christians are not collectors. Like we, we sometimes think that we're like, like antique collectors, like, oh, I got some justification. I'll put that in my pocket. and no. Sanctification, cool, future, awesome, hope. Oh, I have a plan for you. And like we're collecting all this stuff. Like what are you going to do with it? I don't know, but I have it. No, no, no. You're called to experience the reconciled God. He didn't give you that stuff so you could put it on your shelf. And then every Easter you go, praise God I'm forgiven. Glad I have that if I ever need it. He's calling you to experience, to a life. Like when I say God wants more for you than what you want for yourself, he's sitting there going like, we're reconciled. And we're like, I'm a collector. I don't actually want to experience anything with you. I got stuff to do. I'm busy. In fact, if this skinny guy doesn't shut up, I might leave because I got a barbecue this afternoon and my meat is not going to be ready if I don't get it in the smoker on time experience to reconcile God, blah, 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 parking ticket, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) No, no, don't miss the best part of the story. Please don't leave here without thinking what God is calling you into. God is calling his people to experience him, not just know about him. We are no longer separated from God. We are reconciled to God. We can pray. His spirit is within us. We can use our gifts for his kingdom. We can encourage and be encouraged by fellowship with his people. We can do the work of the gospel in community and hundreds of other ways. We get to live out the unlimited reality of experiencing life with the reconciled God. Now, I do want to point out there's two things going on in reconciliation. There's two parties that choose to reconcile. I can't reconcile with someone who doesn't want to be reconciled with me. I mean, I can forgive and I can choose to be reconciled to them. But if they keep walking the other way, there's nothing I can do about that. And I've just read you the scriptures that say the reconciliation is complete on his end. So if you find yourself here this morning listening to this Bible teaching and the Holy Spirit is like, you're missing the best part of the story. It's not because God has not reconciled with you. It's because you haven't reconciled with him. It's because he has reached down to you and you're like, thanks, but no thanks. And once again, he wants more for you than you want for yourself. Maybe you've realized this morning that it's you that have resisted experiencing him. And that needs a change in your heart this morning. Maybe today is the day you surrender to the God who reconciled himself to you. That he might not only give you mercy, but unlimited grace. Maybe today is the day you step into an experience with the reconciled God. You know, our mission statement as a church is to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, Make a difference. That first step of knowing God, we say there's two pieces to it there's information and there's experience. And that experience very often looks like a surrender. When we talk about knowing God, it's not just like I know about Him, it's I've experienced Him. He's extending that to his people this morning. That's why the tomb was empty, that you might experience the reconciled God. The much more of the story is that you would surrender and experience that, that he would then walk you through freedom and the process that that's going to be in your life. And then he would reveal to you your purpose, and you would experience the reconciled God in that area of life. And then he would use you to make a difference in this world. Maybe today is the day you surrender to that God. Not only because of the mercy he's given you, but the unlimited grace. He paid the debt you owed, and he's also now holding out a life for you of unlimited things you do not deserve. Think about that this morning. This is what he's offering you. Unlimited things you don't deserve. Unlimited. That's the good part of the story. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Worship team, you can come on up. Father, we are incredibly grateful for the things that you have given to your children, the things that you have done for your people. And Father, this morning, I just pray that if there are hearts in here who have settled for less than the whole story. They thought just knowing information would be enough without experiencing the reconciled God. I pray that you would work on those hearts this morning. I pray, I pray that you would draw those people to yourself this morning. If there's people who have come this morning who are resisting, Lord. You're calling them to experience you as the reconciled God and they've just put up walls. They've walked the other direction. They've continued to fight it in their heart. I pray that today would be the day of breakthrough. If there's some of those people in this room, I wonder if you would have the courage just to raise your hand so I could pray for you. Maybe you've never surrendered to God at all. And this is the first day you realize he's calling you to experience him as the reconciled God. Or maybe you've known God for 30 years, but you've built a wall and haven't surrendered. Everybody can keep their eyes closed and their heads bowed, but if you want to raise your hand right now, I will pray for you. Is there anybody in here who's experiencing that? Let's see a couple of hands. anymore? You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you for the people you've brought here who have made that declaration, that public declaration, raising their hand, saying, that's me, God. And for every hand up, Lord, I know that there's probably 20 hearts who are wrestling with you right now about whether or not they're gonna continue to resist you or if they're gonna do what you've called them to do. So Father, I pray your spirit would continue to do the work in hearts, long after this service ends, Lord, that you would remind us of the good part of the story, that we would rejoice in the unlimited kindness that you've offered to us. Thank you for Resurrection Sunday. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing this last song.